On the 28th of June, a man came to the front doors of the church. Humble man, a gently spoken man, and a man dressed in some very poor, very rough clothing. And, and as I met him at the door, he said, Russell, can you, not Russell, he didn't know my name, but he said, can you show me where the prayer team is? And so I took him to the prayer team thinking, I wonder what's he wanting. Is he in pain? Has he got cancer? Has he got a relative with a sickness or a disease that we need to see a breakthrough in? And I caught up with one of the prayer team afterwards, and this is what he wanted. This gentle, humble guy came to the doors of the church to our prayer team because he wanted to tell his life story to somebody and be accepted for it. And as the team listened to him, there's a few in the prayer team that day. Tears came to their eyes and the man got up knowing that he's loved, knowing that he's important, knowing that people matter to this church. One of the greatest privileges I have as a pastor, and I've been in ministry for about 29 years in different roles, is that I get to visit people, sometimes church folks, sometimes community folk. I enjoy both. It's a real privilege to visit church family, a real privilege to visit people in the community. And if you were to ask me, Russell, what's the number one felt need that I see in the community? I'll tell you what it is. It's loneliness. People need people. Whoever said that's brilliant. The, the loneliness factor in our community, even though we've got so much multimedia and so much happening on our computers and on our phones, uh, the loneliness factor is just phenomenal in New Zealand, and it's getting bigger, and it's getting more and more intense. I've read surveys, many surveys, about what are teenagers and 20-year-olds looking for in church. And you can summarise by a lot of those surveys their, their results by saying what they really want is to come across real people with real authentic faith who are living in real community. There's a big list, but you could summarise it. They're looking, after or, looking for authenticity and real community. I've been baffled personally over the rise of uh, suicide, over the rise of teenage anxiety. You see, from some of my age, I look at teens today and they seem to be staying home longer, being fed well, dating later, uh, having less early pregnancies. If you look at the stats, lots of them are really, really good for this generation. Really good. And yet, when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to depression, <laughs> the results are through the roof or through the floor, whichever way you want to look at it. And our teenagers are drugged up and on all sorts of medication for anxiety and depression. I asked one of the doctors in our church about a month ago. I said, I don't get it. I mean, things should be better. So much going for our youth, so wonderful young people in our community and in our church. I don't get it. Why so much anxiety? Why so much depression? And he, he, he connected me with a, a huge medical article, about 20 pages long. And I'm going to summarise for you some of the things it says in the article. This article pointed out, this medical article, that the major cause of mental health problems in our precious tamariki is that they're spending less and less face time in real relationships with people that they really care about and more and more time alone in their rooms with a phone or an iPad or a computer doing superficial relationships. 
And in those superficial relationships where every experience is, is tweeted or Instagrammed, they're recognizing that people are meeting together and doing fun stuff without them. And that sense of disconnection, that sense of loneliness, that sense of not being well connected, it's just, it's intense. And the article suggested, the medical article suggested that the more screen time away from real people the youth were involved in, the higher the rate of anxiety and depression. And the more real people time, face-to-face time, they were spending with people that cared with them, the higher the rate of happiness. Now, I want, I want our young people to have smartphones. I think smartphones are great. I can't find your home without my smartphone. You know, and, and I want to keep contacted with my family and my little girl and things. I think they're great. But in our culture, in the last 10 years, something's happening in our young people, our precious tamariki, whereby they're going, wow, I don't feel part of community. I don't feel connected. I'm missing out. And it's causing high rates of anxiety and depression. I once heard a famous Church Unlimited missionary, famous in my mind that is, because I think she would say this. She said, everyone needs real connections. And it's true. Everybody needs real connections. I've heard so many people say to me over the years that love looks like genuine relationship and genuine listening. For them, that, that's love. Quality time, face-to-face, listening with integrity. People are hungry for real love and real connections. And so I'm pleased that one of our cultures in Church Unlimited is that people are our passion. And they need to be. People with Jesus' passion, they're our passion. And we can meet one of the greatest felt needs of our community in the most profound ways with the Holy Spirit and with the message of your gospel. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, as I read to you Luke 19, 1-10. A story about a short guy. And when we read this story about a short guy, I'm going to retell it for you in, in, in the light of extra information I can get from commentaries. And I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to turn to the people around you after I've retold the story. And I want you to say to the people around you, how did Jesus show that people were his passion? How did he demonstrate that in his interactions with Zacchaeus? Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. I love you standing for the word because this book changes lives. There's power in it. There's supernatural life breathing through it. Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus was going through Jericho. There was a man named Zacchaeus, where a man named Zacchaeus lived. He was in charge of collecting taxes and was very rich. Jesus was heading his way, and Zacchaeus wanted to see what he was like. But Zacchaeus was a short man and couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. When Jesus got there, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. I want to stay with you today. Zacchaeus hurried down and gladly welcomed Jesus. Everyone who saw this started grumbling. This man, this man Zacchaeus is a sinner. And Jesus is going home to eat with him. Later that day, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, I'll give half of my property to the poor. And I'll now pay back four times as much to everyone I've ever cheated. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, today you and your family have been saved because you're a true son of Abraham. The son of man came to look for and to save 
people who are lost. Please be seated. Now let me retell it for you. Most of you have online or in your bookshelves commentaries, and commentaries just give you a bit more of the context and a bit more of the word studies. And so rather than explain that stuff, I'm just going to retell the story, and you'll get the picture. You'll get the deeper insights. The story is about a man called Zacchaeus, or Zac, as his only one or two friends would call him. He was a Jew, but he worked as a tax collector, collecting money off his fano for the Roman oppressors, for the Roman authorities, taxing his own family to give it to the oppressors. Many considered him a traitor. At the very least, he was a scam artist. You see, Zac didn't just take a, a fair wage, which he was entitled to. He would tax his own people more than what he was meant to tax them, and he would stick the extra money in his pocket. And having done that for many years, he was a very, very, very wealthy man and a very unpopular man. He was a greedy man, a hated man. And officials like Zach never ran. They never rushed. They just strutted about the town, about the city, full of their own self-importance. Zach had heard about Jesus. Zach had heard about the miracle worker. Zach had heard about this powerful teacher. And he wanted to see him. There's something stirring in his heart about Jesus he didn't understand. And so when Jesus started approaching Jericho, where Zach lived, he's still got 24K to walk to get to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's approaching through Jericho, where Zach lived. And Zach can't wait to see him. There's been so much talk about this guy. But he's height deficient. And he's at the back of the crowd trying to push his way through, and he can't get through. People are crowded around Jesus, wanting to touch him, talk to him, uh, hear from him, get him to lay hands on their kids, all sorts of things. This great crowd's mulling around. There's so much noise, and Zach can't see over the top, and no one's going to let him through. So this official, this arrogant, proud man, this hated man, he runs First time in years, probably. He runs to a tree and he climbs up the tree like a little kid and hangs off a branch, waiting to see just a glimpse of the miracle worker, of this rabbi, unlike any other person he'd ever heard of. And as he's hanging up there in the tree in the most undignified way, Jesus is walking along in a crowd. The noise around Jesus is huge. It's just a din of conversation and talking and questioning and teaching and pushing and touching. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus looks up and he sees the little guy in the tree. And somehow he knows his name. Was it word of knowledge? Did he ask someone? I don't know. But he goes, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down. I want to have a feed at your place today. I want to put up my feet and hang out with you today, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus couldn't believe his ears. And the people couldn't believe their ears. Didn't Jesus know who that was? That's the scam artist. That's the rip-off guy. That's the guy who robs his own family to give it away and to fill his pockets. And Zach wants to have a, Jesus wants a feed with him. Oh, Zacchaeus, he scurries down the tree as quick as he can. And he says, Jesus, come home. Have a feed at my place. Gets Jesus home. And they eat together and they talk together. Jesus puts up his feet on his couch and just makes himself totally at home. Unlike Jesus, Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, you need to stop sinning. Because he always did that. Jesus was very quick to say, I love you, but the truth is this stuff's going to hurt you. He didn't do it. He just ate and he talked and he hung out. 
And in the afternoon, Zacchaeus said the most incredible thing. Zacchaeus looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, all that stuff I've stolen off people, I'm going to give back. Now, commentators suggest that Jesus was smiling from ear to ear. And Jesus' reaction was probably like this. Really? You, a Jew, are going to repay all the money you've pinched? And he's smiling. And then he says, you know what? I'm actually going to give four times back what I've stolen from people. And Jesus at this point is chuckling. Away. Come on. Come on. Really? And, and Jesus says the most incredible thing. He says, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house this day. You see, people in that, all around Zacchaeus were saying, we're descendants. We can fuck a papa back to Abraham. That's our, our father of faith. And because of our skin color, because of our blood, we're going to heaven. But Jesus is looking at Zacchaeus and saying, real faith results in action. It's not faith or action. It's faith that results in action. And this guy's got real faith. His faith is real. He's repenting of his sin. He's given back to the poor and probably smiling and probably laughing at how incredible it is. He says, Zacchaeus, you and your family are going to be saved. People are our passion, is our culture. And when Jesus related to Zach in this account, he showed people his passion. I want to point out three things that Jesus did. And these three components in the conversation and what took place are actually the three things that keep coming up time and time again. If you want to reach lost people, if you want to form a relationship with a culture that don't know who Jesus is, that don't know what sin is, that don't know what holiness is, you're not going to get it over in two minutes. You need to form a relationship. And what does Jesus do? He offers three things. Faith, wherever Jesus, when he talked, and people often say, I'm going to witness about God, but I'm not going to use words. That's just a nonsense. Wherever Jesus, when he talked about the kingdom, so there was faith. The second component was food. And it doesn't matter what culture you come from, when you sit down and you share kai with somebody that you respect and you love, they feel it. And it doesn't matter whether it's spaghetti on toast or baked beans or some posh roast. doesn't matter. If you're eating food together, you're showing respect and manner to the other person. So there's faith and there's food and there's friendship. Friendship. The scriptures actually say when Jesus said, can I stay at your place? What Jesus means in the Greek is, can I put my feet up and hang out at your place, Zacchaeus? Can I be comfortable in your home? In the book of Revelation, when it says to Christians, lukewarm Christians, I knock at the door. Revelation 3, let me in. I want to be comfortable in every part of your life. Jesus is saying, lukewarm Christians, I want to hang out. I want to be with you when you watch TV. I want to be with you when you pray. I want to be with you in your workplace. I want to be very comfortable. I want to put my feet up on your couch. In every area of your life, faith, food, and friendships. Three elements that we see with Zach. There's far more than that. You would have got more, but there's three. Now, when you look at the most effective evangelistic course in the Western church, you know what it is today? It's Alpha. Now, if you were to summarize Alpha into three components, what's Alpha made up of? Faith unashamedly explaining the gospel and letting people ask big questions. No judgment. They can ask the most extreme questions and be totally loved on. There's always food, you know, and there's always friendship. And I always find the last night of Alpha the hardest because I'm still going to see those people for months and for years, but I get to really enjoy the friendship. 
And so you take time to answer the questions. And there's faith and there's food and there's friendship. And disciples are made that last. Open Air Campaigner says that the, the most effective way in New Zealand, according to their research, of lost people getting saved is Christian camping, particularly outreach camps to kids. Now, what's involved in an outreach camp to kids over three to five days? They talk about Jesus every day, unashamedly, the gospel. They eat a lot of food together, and they form friendships, and they get to see what Christian models really look like. What's it look like to be a Christian? They hang out with Christian mentors. And so kids that come through that, through that doorway into the kingdom tend to be kids that last. Faith, food, and friendship. People are our passion. And Jesus showed that to Zacchaeus, much more than that. Dion Moody once said, The world doesn't understand theology or dogma, but it understands sympathy and it understands love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Read at most weddings. For now there are faith, hope, and love, but of these the greatest is love. Everybody on earth was created with a deep, inbuilt need for a relationship. And that greatest relationship was met with Jesus. I believe that with all my heart. The greatest answer to anxiety and fear is Jesus. The greatest answer to hopelessness is Jesus. But you need Jesus and you need his kids. You need to be in relationship with other people. If you're not in relationship, your faith doesn't grow. So we need to be well connected. Jesus was radical in the way he loved people. You know, he got into so much trouble every week. Why? Because he did what he did with Zacchaeus. He'd see someone who's got issues and problems and, and they're uncomfortable and they're doing bad things. He'd say, I want to feed at your place. I want to hang out with you. And he'd go and do it and he'd just love on him and accept him and call him to repent. He did that as well. And people's lives were totally, totally transformed. The religious people hated it. Why was he so keen on loving strugglers and sinners? That was his heart. That was his radical lifestyle. In fact, in Matthew 5, 43 to 44, Jesus said, You've heard people say, love your neighbours and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for anyone who mistreats you. Rick Warren said this, God teaches us to love by putting some unlovely people around us. It takes no character to love people who are lovely and, and are loving back to you. So how do we as a church show that people are our priority? How do we as a church show that people really matter to us and because God's love's in us, you know, that's flowing through us in, in a respectful way? I want to suggest to you three different areas we can show people are our passion. I want to talk about the community out there first of all. How do we as a church show our community that people really matter? People are our passion. I want to embarrass three people just briefly uh, as I do that. We've got three chaplains in this church. And one of the best ways to show the community that we love them is to put Christians out there overtly talking about the gospel and loving on people. So, Carol, could you stand up? Chaplain in hospice, could you stand? And I saw at the back there, Renew. My mind's gone blank, Becky, right? Becky, could you stand up? Becky over here, but Renew. And Pastor Penny, could you stand? These are three people who are out there in the community, overtly Christian, loving on people and praying for people. Please be seated. Thank you so much for what you do. These are part of our missionary arm of the church. Probably the most overt way we show 
the people in the community that we love them is through Unlimited Love Days. And that's where once a month Denise gets teams together, uh, put them into homes of folk, normally not connected with the church, but boy, if they're in the church, we don't care. We're going to love them anyway. If they're in another church, we don't care. We're going to love them anyway. And we're just going to form teams of people under Denise's leadership and just pour out love on them. And it brings tremendous witness to the people that we're ministering to, brings witness to their neighbours, and it brings witness to the community that Christianity is not a whole lot of folk who just love on each other and are anti this and anti that. Christianity makes a difference because people matter to Christians. And Christians are out there loving on folk. Denise, could you stand for a moment? Just for a moment. Denise heads up our team. She's awesome. Absolutely awesome woman of God. Thank you, Denise, so much for what you do. Now, if you want to be involved this weekend, we are short of men with weed eaters. I'll just sort of throw that in there. But um, Denise will head up two or three projects every once a month, last Saturday of the month usually, and it makes a real difference. There's another way we as a church show people that they matter, that people are our passion, and that's through our work. When you go out and you volunteer, when you look after your family, when you go to your schoolroom, to your classroom, to your college, when you go to your place of work, full-time, part-time, and you love God, and you say what words that are appropriate as the Holy Spirit leads you, and you do your job well, and you honour God as you serve in your job as if you're serving Jesus, I tell you what, you're in a powerful place of mission. So we as a church care about people. People are our passion, and to our community, there's different ways we show that, we demonstrate that, and we want to keep that growing and going. If we look at people on the fringe, Another group. How do we demonstrate to those on the fringe of the church, those just looking over the edge, those wondering about God, how do we demonstrate to those on the fringe that people are our passion? One of the greatest ways we can do that is in John 13, 35. It says, By this you will know that that you are all my disciples if you have love for one another. When the church family is looking after each other, supporting each other, people notice. People notice. When they come in and we're not stuck in their own social groups with our friends and our relatives and we're mixing with people, people notice the love we have for each other. One of the things we're about to change in this church is when folk walk in from the street, and it doesn't happen often, but it's happening more often. It's happening more often now. When they come through the door, they can't see anybody. And we're about to change that. That's an issue. You know, we want to be more welcoming. But I tell you something wonderful that does happen when they come through the door and the buzzer goes off, someone's in the building. There's a person in our church that gets out of her chair like a 100-metre sprinter and will find that person and make them welcome and set them at ease and make them a cup of tea or coffee before they're brought to one of the pastoral team. And that person's Chris O'Brien. She's a legend. There are people in our church who are here because their first impression of the church was Chris O'Brien setting them at ease and showing them that people matter to us at Church Unlimited in Whangarei. I thank the Lord for a ministry. One of our best tools to engage those who are interested asking questions, of course, is Alpha. And it's so good because it's relational and involves food and involves fun and involves asking real-life questions. And there's no pressure. It's really tough for me Uh, as somebody who loves on people, to say to someone when they come to Alpha, we're not going to follow up. We're not going to press you. If you decide after a week or two, it's not for you. You can walk away and you're not going to get 100 phone calls or get me knocking on the door. That's part of Alpha and it's true. 
We, we open our hearts, we form relationship, we respect every question, we respect every person. There's food, uh, there's, there's faith, and there's friendship, and good fruit results from it. When you come into the back uh, entrance of the church, our main entrance, there are four shelves, there are resources. Resources for kids, for intermediates, for youth, for adults. And at the very left-hand end of every shelf are little booklets for seekers so that people with real-life questions can find out some answers when they come visit us as a church. That shows the people on the fringe they are our priority. When someone comes to church for the first three months, they usually want to sit in one of three rows in the church. And I've been looking at this, watching this, asking questions about these issues for the last 29 years. One of the most loving things you can do, and I know there are people with medical problems, people that need to be able to access the toilets and things, but one of the most loving things you can do when you come to church is cuddle up and move forward. Seriously. Because seekers aren't comfortable sitting in the middle or at the front. Visitors aren't comfortable. They want to sit in the back three rows, and they want to sit there for three months on average. So the more you cuddle up and move forward, you're demonstrating that people on the fringe are our passion. Next question. When a visitor or a seeker comes to church for the very first time, what is the most important thing they're looking for? Now, coffee matters. Preaching really matters. Worship really matters. Car parking matters. Seats at the back matter, but the number one thing they want is friendship. It really is. Now, I've noticed when I've interviewed people over the last 29 years, there's often a pivotal point where they go from, I'm going to visit this church to I'm going to stay in the church. What event takes place that causes most people to choose to stay in a church? I've been asking these questions for years, observing for years. You know what it is? It's when somebody invites them home for a meal or takes them out for a coffee. And there are people in this church, I know about half a dozen of you, that have a real ministry of inviting people home for a meal. And I cannot understate how important it is. I can't understate it. When I visit folk and say, why this church and why, why have you chosen to join this team? The number one response I get is, I was invited home to a meal at such and such a person's place. And I thought, I belong. I'm going to be accepted here. I'm going to fit in here. Isn't that interesting? Now, preaching's important. Worship's important. Car parks are important. Even coffee's important. But bringing someone home for a meal, you're communicating again. Aroha, you're communicating respect. You're giving them mana. You're giving them your time. And we're so busy. Man, we're all busy people. So how do you do that? It's not easy to do. But I want to say to those of you that do, and you know who they are in this church. We've got half a dozen folk in this church are brilliant at hospitality. What you're doing for the kingdom and for discipleship is huge. It's significant. And I bless you for it. So that's how we show people outside in the community that people are our passion. That's how we show people on the fringe that people are our passion. What about how do we show each other? that people are our passion. Ephesians 4, verse 32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, uh, God, forgave you. 1 Peter 4, 8, Most important of all, you must sincerely love each other because love wipes away many sins. I really believe, friends, that when people come to church and you make time to get to know them, and ask some questions and follow up and you remember their name. It's important. When you get on a serving team, whether it's worship or the building or whatever it is, you know, and you serve together, you get closer together. You show them that they matter. That's important. 
when you get in a life group or a connect group and you learn to do life together, that's probably the best place of all. And you're showing such mana and support. You're showing them that people matter, that they matter. And that's significant for the kingdom. If you ever want to find a good life group, you let me know. I'd love to point you in the right direction. People are our passion. Oh, those people out there are. Those people looking through the windows are. And those people in here are. Now, I could say to you this morning, friends, uh, let's try harder and work harder and do more and be more deliberate and run more programs. And I don't think that's the answer at all. You see, when I look at you and when I know what the Bible says about you, it's not that you need to become loving people. You already are. The God of love lives in you and he's moving upon you through the Holy Spirit. And when you and I just draw close to him, spend time with him, when we ask him, when we come to the altar, say, God, just fill me and bless me and top me up to overflowing so I can love on some people this week like you did, Jesus, radically. Like you did, Jesus, supernaturally. He's going to do it. So I need to encourage you to be loving. I don't need to tell you, be more loving, try harder. That's a nonsense. I actually think this. The power of Almighty God. God is love. He's in you. He's upon you. You've got the resources to love supernaturally this week and every week because of him. He's good. He's all, you've already got it. You're already doing it. We just need to let it flow out to other people so practically. I'm going to read you a closing story. Then we're going to look at a, a um, declaration. And we're not going to say the declaration to the close. I'm going to get the worship team forward to to just to lead us in the last song. But let me tell you this story. There's a Sunday school teacher, and in his class, he had a little boy called Dave. Dave was a pain in the neck. Dave was annoying. Dave was rude. Dave was interruptive. Lord, forgive that. Anyway, Dave's in the room today. I'm sure you're not like that. But this little kid was. He was a real pain in the neck. And he went up to his Sunday school ministry leader. He says, listen, I've had it. I've been teaching this kid Dave for months. He's driving me bananas. I've had enough of him. Either Dave goes or I go. And incredibly, the leader said this, before you go, I want you to visit Dave. So he goes around to Dave's home and he visits Dave and he arrives at the poorest house on the poorest street in the poorest community. He's greeted by this little boy, Dave, at the door. Dave's so excited. Mom and Dad, it's my Sunday school teacher at the door. He's come to visit us. He opens the door. He goes in. Inside the house, there's Dad. And Dad looks like he's been drunk for months. He's been unemployed for an awful long time. And there's Mum. She's rattled and ragged. She's working two jobs, and she's stressed out and irritable. And Dave, this teacher, looks at Dave and thinks, you know what? I think I know why Dave's been so naughty. Dave just needs some attention. Dave just needs some love. I'm a Christian. There's power in loving people. And so he says to little Dave before he goes, he says, Dave, how about you come early to church next week? How about you come early every week? And we just hang out together. And we just have time. Boy, Dave was early, all right. He was early that week, the next week, the next week after that. Little Dave becomes a Christian. That teacher becomes one of his best mates. There's power in loving people. Love comes from Him. And love transforms lives. And boy, if in our busy lives we can take time and say, God, I want more of you, less of me. That love, it's already in you. It's already on you. It's just going to flow more and more. And people are going to realize people are our passion and be transformed. 
just before we sing this next song, and we just, in this song, come to God and say, God, I just want to be close to you. I just want more of you. That's what the song's about. I want you to read the words of the declaration we're going to sing at the end, to speak at the end of the song. Bring it up on the screen. Just take a moment to, to read that because that's our closing declaration. We won't be closing in prayer this morning. I want to ask you to say something you haven't thought through or you agree with or believe. But after the song, after just saying, God, we want to be intimate with you, we want to be filled with you, overflowing with your love, so people might know you're our passion. To make this declaration and the service will end. I do want to say to people, if you're here this morning, you've not experienced the love of God, I would do anything to get you along to Alpha. We'll have a coffee with you this week. So sign up for Alpha at the info desk or come and see me. If you're here this morning and you just want prayer, something's happening in you. Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe you've expected more of Christianity and church and what you've experienced. It can start afresh. God can heal. And there's that wonderful ministry team available to you at the close of the service. You are a people of love. You are a people of power. Just love on Jesus and keep close to him. It's going to overflow. Overflow to our community because people are our passion. Let's read this together. Let's make this declaration together. We, the church family at Church Unlimited, declare that we will never lock eyes on someone that Jesus doesn't already love. That the ultimate answer to anxiety, loneliness, and emptiness is a personal relationship with Jesus. That the God who lives in us and through us is a God of love. We believe, oh, because of God's love through us, sorry, we believe that we don't have to try harder, feel guilty, or copy anyone as we stay close to Him, enjoying Him. He will give us the words to say, the actions to do, and the miracles will follow. And our city will be healed by His love. One person at a time. We want to do everything well, but people will be our passion. Lord bless you, friends. Love on Jesus and let it overflow the people this week. Bless you, hands.